Welcome to Proven Improbable, where we deliver mining insights and bullion sales in the form of physical delivery, offshore depositories, and private blockchain distributed ledger technology. Thank you for joining us for a special four-part series entitled All About Private Placements. Joining us for a conversation is Tacoa Da Silva. He is an accomplished, licensed financial advisor for Sprott USA, the preeminent name in the natural resource space. Full disclosure, the following is not a Sprott USA endorsed product, and it is for educational purposes only. Tacoa, what are the most common mistakes you see when people buy private placements? Boy, what, uh, okay, <laughs> what a wonderful question. And most common mistakes that I've seen, uh, the first one that comes to mind is buying a private placement when an individual is legally, technically not qualified to be able to do so. What comes to mind is a, a young man that I spoke with uh, once who uh, was looking for someone to assist him with depositing his private placement securities. We discussed his net worth, and I found that he was not an accredited investor. And I, and I, I, I asked him how he was able to buy those securities, not being a, an accredited investor, because the issuers at least in the, from, the, from a North American context, uh, in these natural resource and mining share companies, in most instances, the issuer has to verify, or they, they and they're in the uh, subscription agreement, there there is contract that you have to complete in order to buy the private placement. They ask you to, to check off all the boxes indicating that you're an accredited investor. And if you don't tick off those boxes, they don't sell you the securities. They don't sell you the private placement. But somehow this young gentleman, uh, he, he, he had these securities, so I thought that um, somewhere in the process, uh, you know, maybe the issuer made a mistake, or maybe he made a mistake. But he somehow got, bought these things, not being accredited. And uh, my understanding was that he couldn't find any broker, uh, any specialist uh, resource, uh, a broker who could do private placement deposits, who could help him. So he was trapped. His money was stuck inside the security because he was unaccredited. So that's the first mistake uh, I would say is confirm with the issuer. Do we have to be accredited? And if they say yes and, you, and, and, and someone's thinking, well, what proof uh, needs to be provided uh, uh, indicating that I'm, I'm, a, I'm an accredited investor? Uh, do, do you need bank statements? Do you need any, any proof? And the issuer says no and the person may think, oh, well, you know, maybe fudging the documents or something like that just to be able to buy it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Tell the truth uh, because uh, you you don't want your capital to get stuck inside a security that can't be liquidated. Uh, so um, always confirm and don't make that mistake. Uh, the next mistake uh, that I would say is pretty common is that a person could make is buying into a private placement, obtaining a security like this, a physical security, without first having a destination, a home with which to deposit the security. I came across a gentleman who is based in a, a, a country, a wonderful country that I've traveled and visited. It's, it's a great place. But from a, from, a, from a banking standpoint, there are some North American clearing firms uh, or, or broker dealers that don't want to do business with certain regions or residents in those regions. And so this gentleman said, hey, I've, I've got this private placement security. Can you deposit it for me? I said, well, I can't. Maybe another broker can, 
because not because I don't want to, but because the clearing firm doesn't want to, because that country is not within their uh, you know grouping of uh, accepted jurisdictions. So you want to double check with the broker that you use after you open the account. Say, hey, I'm a resident of this country. Is it going to be any problem? Double check this before you put your money up to buy your security. So that's the uh, the second most common mistake that I've seen. Um, and I can just keep going with these. Uh, if that's oh, okay. certainly, please do, because I think this is a valuable experience for us all. Okay, uh, the next common mistake that I've seen people do is if they really like a company uh, and they want to support it multiple times by private placement over the course of a couple of years. And let's just say that they keep their shares. They don't deposit them in a broker-dealer you know, account every time they do the private placement. But they just keep them at home in the safe the deposit box or something like this. They do multiple private placements, and in each of the private placements, they buy the exact same share count. So let's say you do three private placements in a company. Uh, uh, you, uh, I think, made reference earlier in this series to Nova Gold. Nova let's Resources. Say first, uh, oh, Nova Resources, pardon. Uh, so let's say an individual bought their private placement there three times, and every time they bought 50,000 shares. That's wonderful. They've got a great position of 150,000 shares and hopefully 150,000 warrants. But what happens is if a person rushes, then to go deposit all three of those private placements at the exact same time with their broker dealer. What happens is the administrative staff, they get these three deposits all matching of 50,000 shares. And what they need to do is they need to build a legal case for every single one of them. They have to find the proof of purchase. They have to have copies of the original subscription agreements. And if every single one of these has matching share accounts, the administrative staff cannot easily identify between all three of the private placements without reading out long numbers of saying something like, yes, you know, private placement number one, which is the security number XQZTY5000, and that's have to communicate with each other all day long. So I would suggest instead of doing three private placements for 50,000 shares each, do three private placements and number them this way, 50,100 shares, 50,200 shares. 50,300 shares so the administrative staff can quickly identify amongst each other because they'll they'll have you know three to four employees at each of the layer each of the financial organization layers are going to be touching this thing and communicating with each other so if you number them that way they can say oh yeah placement uh, that's you know marked number 100 you know, 50,100 boom they can pull up all the old paperwork and help you faster because the last thing you want is administrative staff in some part of the process saying, you know what, this is just, i got to push this aside and do some other work right now. Well, it also raises eyebrows, does it not? Because it's, it could be, it, there's a question of, is this a legal certificate I'm receiving? Is this something counterfeit? And, uh, and you may have something else that I don't think we've covered so far, and that is you do have to have proof of purchase. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, yeah. Your broker-dealer can uh, walk you through the legal package that you need to assemble every time you deposit a private placement uh, uh, obtained security. And just for reference, that's going to be your subscription agreement, it's going to be your proof of purchase, and it's going to be the actual security itself, along with anything else that they ask, pardon me, that they ask for. Let me ask you this here. So we've covered companies predominantly on the Toronto Stock Exchange that are public companies. Are we able to participate in private placements through companies that are pre-IPO? Well, uh, you know what? I would say that this is an extension of the, the of that question of what are some of the worst mistakes a person can make when participating in a private placement. And that is participating in a pre-IPO or a private 
entity still assuming natural resource exploration development stage companies. Participating in a private or pre-IPO entity and being a non-professional or participating in a company in which you don't have a high level of assurance from the issuer or from the broker that this company is actually going to go public someday. If a person is a busy professional and they're not working with real pros in terms of the issuer that they're working with, like skilled entrepreneurs that um, when they, that where they're good to their word, yeah. Uh, and then also like a broker-dealer that's the same way where uh, they know how to handle private and pre-IPO uh, private placements. If they don't have those two things involved and someone solicits them with, a, with, with an opportunity like that, I would say be very careful because um, if they don't go public, you may never get your capital out of that, yes. back from that security. It's stranded on an island. And then also it could take longer than expected. One example comes to mind of a, a company that I observed in 2014 that said, we're going to be going uh, IPO uh, public sometime soon when we get a little bit of re recovery in the market. That same company now, it's five years later and they're still private. And the person that participated in that private placement, along with others that I've seen, um, is still waiting. And then in the meantime, Anything could be going on with that company. Personnel could be coming and going. Their financial situation could be deteriorating. And then the person who owns the stock certificate bought by the private placement could have changes going on in their own personal life. So you want to be very, very careful when you're considering pre-IPO and private uh, 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 entities for private placement. And I've actually, I've, I've got a couple more common mistakes that people make. If I should continue, or yes, sir, different? please do. Okay. The next common mistake that I see people make, this one is so huge, and that is losing your supporting documents that you obtained when you did your private placement at the beginning. Your supporting documents is your, ex your, your copy of the executed subscription agreement, that 30 to 40 page document that you filled out that's going to have your signatures and information on there, and that's going to have the company's, the issuing company's signature on there too. You can't lose that document. Because these days, if you lose that document, you may have a broker say, well, according to uh, anti-money laundering laws, we can't d d deposit this from, uh, from you because we don't know that this came from a legitimate source. Uh, and then the same thing for proof of purchase. If you can't prove that, that you've got a bank statement or a, bank, uh, a wire receipt, some other transference of money documented by uh, a real bank, the, your broker dealer could say, well, we can't document or we can't prove to our compliance department that you didn't pay for this private placement with a suitcase full of cash <laughs> obtained from some strange circumstances. So that mistake, never lose your supporting documents. So when you get them, keep a scanned copy in your records, keep a physical copy if you need to. And then if there's a third party such as your, such as your broker, you could email them copies of all the information and they'll have uh, archived email records, at least they should, which will keep a permanent copy in their records too, uh, so that you don't lose that. Uh, so uh, I've got uh, an, uh, another common uh, mistake here too, which is uh, losing your security certificate or your stock certificate, your debenture, your warrant certificate. You want to try not to lose those things. It's not the end of the world if you do, but guess what? Getting a new copy is a hassle. It could take anywhere from four to 10 weeks dealing with the issuer and with the transfer agent. 
getting that security reproduced. And it could cost you money. Of course, three to $600 is a good budget for third-party administrative fees. But in the meantime, through that four to 10-week process, anything could be going on with the stock. It could be exploding. It could be collapsing. There could be all, all types of things going on, and you just don't want to do that to yourself. So make sure to keep the certificate in a safe place. If you're going to keep it in your possession, I would suggest having a pretty good system in place for possession of those or immediately get them to your broker-dealer because they'll have a vaulting system, or at least they should, with their clearing firm to keep them really safe and secure. Um, The next common mistake that I see people make uh, in, in private placements is buying in a registration name that is different from the brokerage account name that they may use at their broker. Okay, what is a registration name? Registration name or registrant, that's simply the name that gets printed on your security. So if you've got a security uh, Maurice uh, in, let's say, Novo Resources, a private placement, says Maurice Jackson, the registration name is Maurice Jackson. But if a different name is printed on that security... Proven Improbable, be an example. uh, Proven Improbable. Uh, that's a different registrant. It's legally a different party. So if we were to, to, to talk to a broker about, you know, with a brokerage account that matched your personal name or my personal name or the name of a business, they may say, whoa, whoa, we understand that you own both, but they're not compatible with each other. Correct. So in order for a person to, to deposit the private placement security that's in their name or their business name into the vice versa account, brokerage account they have, they may say, well, we could do it for you, but first you're going to have to send the placement security back to the transfer agent and get it reissued, get it reprinted, and, 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 and get the opposing name printed on the certificate. And then someone says, okay, sure, yeah, it, it sounds nice and easy. How long is that going to take? Oh, four to six weeks. <laughs> so two weeks sending it both directions, four to six weeks re- reprinting it, and then another potentially who knows how long, two to four, six weeks of, of a deposit process that the that the brokerage account, the broker firm may have, redepositing that security again. So be careful. Check with your broker first. So, okay, what's the exact legal name of my brokerage account? Right. Does my private placement, my, my registration name for the private placement need to match exactly and precisely? I just want to have this confirmed before I do it. That way you can avoid costly time errors that come in down, down the road. And another option would be, which is not one that people really want because you don't want to open up a second account, but the other option may be then just open up a personal name account with that broker and a business name, and then you can toggle between the two, whichever is appropriate for the name on the actual uh, share certificate. Yes, sir. Uh, that's, that's, that's another route that a person can take. But I'll tell you, in some crazy market conditions, and, uh, you know, in resource markets, they're, 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 they can oftentimes be exploding or they can be completely dead. But when you're moving in an ex- in a, a period of explosion in market conditions, if you're working with a small specialist resource firm, all their staff can be, if it's during an explosive period of the market, inundated with paperwork, with phone calls, with just things going haywire. And you don't want to be caught in a situation like that, unprepared with having the wrong account type. So way in advance, you know, uh, doing what you just said of, of having the extra account already created if needed. I think it's a very good idea. So, so timing and being prepared are the two components here that are intangible, that really you're sharing words of wisdom, the experience, you've been there, you've seen it, you've heard the profanity on the other end of the line, I'm sure. So uh, thank you for sharing that with us. Do you have another example for us? 
Well, I, I, I've got a couple more if there's enough time for a Certainly there is, yes. During, during private placements. Uh, and that is, um, here it is. Here's another common mistake. I'll make this quick. Is that is, okay, oftentimes in the junior resource space, companies are going through mergers and acquisitions or name changes or share structure changes uh, where there may be a 10 for one rollback or a 100 for one rollback. And if you've got that share certificate in your possession, your, the name of the company and the number of shares or security, uh, a quantity on the certificate, it can't immediately be produced for you unless the company takes it on their own to send you a new, a new certificate immediately in the mail. So what happens is the change happens, but your certificate stays the same. And your broker may say, oh, well, you could send it in when it's convenient for you, and we'll just make that adjustment when it gets here. But what happens if six months down the line, the company makes another change, another share structure adjustment, or another M&A, and then another, and then another. One These do happen. Things. These do happen. Yes, they do happen. This is a realistic scenario that you're providing here. Yeah. Uh, you know, we saw this happen with uh, a very successful company uh, uh, and successful management team. Uh, I think it was um, Equinox Gold started out in its early years. I believe it was Trek Mining and then JDL Gold. Uh, and then, um, well, so, so, so they had multiple um, changes down, uh, down, uh, down the road. And I, just off the top of my head, can't recall if they had share structure changes along the way too. But so what I'm saying is when you see that name change or the share structure change, get that security deposited and updated as fast as you possibly can. Because if it's two, three, and four changes down the road, uh, you, the administrative staff, the, the legal review department, what they're going to do is they're going to say, you know what, in order for us to verify all this, it may take a month or longer. So they may just say, hey, we'll, we'll get it done when we get it done. And it, it could just be a, a much more time consuming process than, than otherwise could be the case if you immediately moved when you saw that change happen. But then what you would, and if I can interject here, but then you miss out on what could potentially be an arbitrage opportunity. And, uh, and they're not long, but you have to be prepared. And that's something we're emphasizing here. It's timing and being prepared and having a plan. Uh, if you have another example, please do share with us. Yes, sir. So uh, another common mistake that I uh, see made uh, during, uh, well, for private placements is, okay, if a person is of the opinion that at some time in the future, they may be passing on their securities to their heirs, um, that, that, that time's coming and they own physical certificates of companies. I think that it could be a smart idea in consultation with their managers, their potential man or the managers of their potential estate or potential managers, however you want to put it, is to consider getting those securities deposited and put in a digital format in the individual's name or in the name of a, of a trust or whatever entity is in question. Because if a person passes away, and the securities are still in that person's name that passed away, uh, you have a period of time where that can be still fairly quickly handled. And I think one, one must move quickly in that circumstance because what happens if one doesn't move quickly? Well, you may have an M&A. You may have a restructuring change. You may have another change within the uh, structure of heirs or another manager coming in to manage the estate, or simply time passes. I saw a circumstance where a person 
had securities that were decades old, decades. And the uh, various people that I talked to in that circumstance simply had no idea how to assist that individual. And various industry people that I spoke to with circumstances like that say, well, you may have people out there that own securities from the 30s, the 40s, the 50s. And what happens is you have to research the, the, uh, the ownership chain of all the entities that came and went throughout that process in order to recover that money. And if you don't have a person or a group that's willing to go through that legal history review, the capital could be permanently lost. So that common mistake that I see is if you have a change in the um, living parties or the the uh, you know heirs, the share certificates, if you see that that's coming, immediately get them deposited, put into a digital format, maybe convert them into cash or something like that so you can conveniently pass on those assets to the heirs so that you can avoid them being permanently lost. Uh, sorry, I'm just going to look here to make sure I'm not missing any. You know, these are these are wonderful gems that you're sharing with us. I should say, uh, golden nuggets of wisdom because it, it really, I mean, it really makes a, a difference for someone if they're not aware in thinking the entire process out. And you have to respect the process because it is a process. Uh, the market doesn't move when we want it to move. And when I say the market, it's not just the prices of shares, but it's also behind the scenes. What we're discussing here in this format is the process to take it from that certificate format to direct registration to street name. It is a process. And if you don't respect the process, you will get uh, stressed out. You will be upset. And if you understand what's coming before you, you can be better prepared. And that's exactly what we're trying to do here. And again, this is not uh, um, legal advice. Uh, this is not financial advice. This is simply an education format that we want to provide to you regarding the value proposition of private placements. Did you have another one for us, sir? Uh, no more. Those, I would say pretty much cover for the most common mistakes that I've seen in regards to private placements. Well, Tako, we've covered a lot of material here. What are your closing thoughts or words of wisdom that you'd like to share with anyone regarding private placements? Well, I think uh, think about it very carefully before doing it. Uh, I think uh, understanding that the process of participation is probably a one to three year commitment. Uh, going about it, thinking of trying it out for one to three months to see if it fits uh, may not be too helpful. Within that one to three year period, one really needs to um, find the right people to work with, find the the best sources of information for the pipeline of opportunities, the best people to work with in terms of depositing the securities and handling the cash, people who are competent at that uh, and who can also help you vet those deals that you may find on your own. And then uh, those, those individuals who from an administrative standpoint can really help you and step-by-step -step guide you through the process to, to help protect you from from losing your money. Um, I think that's, that's, that's what I would say. And definitely to not be shy about mapping out the entire process and talking to all those parties, talking to multiple sources within those different uh, groups so that you can have the whole thing mapped out even if you decide not to do it. I think, I think that's probably the best advice that I would suggest. 
Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes part three on all about private placements. If you wish to have a conversation with Mr. De Silva, email tdasilva at sproutglobal.com. If you want to find out which private placements have our attention at Proven and Probable, simply visit provenandprobable.com. Place your correspondence in the subscribe box and let us know that you are accredited. Subscription is free and we do not share your correspondence with third parties. The information presented on Proven and Probable is provided for educational and informational purposes only, without any express or implied warranty of any kind, including warranties of accuracy, completeness, or fitness for any particular purpose. The information is not intended to be and does not constitute financial, investment, or trading advice, or any other advice. You should not make any financial, investment, or trading decision based on any of the information presented without first undertaking independent due diligence and consultation with a professional broker or competent financial advisor.